This is the Rad Mars Podcast, episode 76. I'm Andrew Ford. And I'm Brendan Trombley. I'm Trevor Williams. I'm Roshi. French 75. That's a good cocktail. You never had it. I've not. I don't What's think I have. Um, oh, geez. It's like champagne, a cocktail cherry, and uh, some other more boozy elements. But it's very, very light and sweet and tart. Hmm. Tastes good. I think it's got just, sake in it. It's like champagne sake and like a little float or something. I don't know, whatever. Fancy I do typically like the lighter, like fruitier drinks. Mm-hmm. Amaretto sour. That's sort of my go-to. Uh, my, uh, I guess, wow. I don't know. A good martini is hard to get, but I also like mm-hmm. Negronis because it's kind of hard to mess them up. Or That's a good one. I like yeah. that one a lot. I like anything with Campari. Yeah. I think I'm just a Campari guy. Mm. Good sour. old spritz in the summertime. Old-fashioned. Bubbly. I don't recognize the names of any of the alcohols. So typically, if I'm ever looking at like a drink menu, deciding to order something alcoholic, I'm just like, what are the fruits that I can identify? Because everything <laughs> else, like, is just sort of like, you know, Greek to me. Yeah. Well, you got to try some more stuff. Go yeah. to a fancy bar. Go to Good Luck in Rochester, New York. Rated top <laughs> 10 bars in the United States or something like that. They had. Well, I don't know if I've ever been to Rochester in my life. I don't know if I ever will be in Rochester yeah, before I die. You know, it's not that great. Good Luck's good, though. <laughs> I think, you should, I think you should go to Rochester just to become an honorary, like, Radmars, Rochester, yeah, you're Rochester the only, person. You're the only one. Yeah. Red, Red, Mars, Red Marsman. Mm-hmm. Yeah. At some point when the pandemic has sort of burned its way through the world. You can come to the ashes of, uh, you know, Rochester. You yes. know, when global warming <laughs> reaches all the water level, we'll probably be pretty good. We're next to the lake. Mm. We got fresh water. You know. Nice. Come on down. You can pet my cat. <laughs> you should definitely do an in-person episode recording at one of these points. Yeah. Oh yeah! Oh my God, we could do that. Could you imagine? Mm-hmm. What a world! Uh, we need to get like a studio, think. make yeah. a studio. <laughs> we'll make a studio for one single recording. Yeah. <laughs> my my favorite part will be the synchronizing clap when we're all in the same room, just yeah. to see how close we are. We could be in my like slightly dirty, not slightly reasonably dirty living room, <laughs> 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 echoing all off the walls. Yeah. We did a someone. You guys did a in person recording. Two of you before, right? You and Andrew. yeah, Andrew is over yeah. here. He's visiting in Rochester. Well, I guess nope. he's I don't think. Yeah, I don't think I was there for that one. It sounded great. You guys, you guys did great. Yeah, we had a camera one, camera two setup going on because I didn't have a um, great way of having two people headphones into the same computer. <laughs> oh, did you share a pair of earbuds like a <laughs> no, like a cute couple? I didn't have earbuds that would plug into my computer either. Dull. My earbuds are all USB C because they're for fucking whatever the hell phone this is. Um, so can you believe it? No, I guess I got to get make... wireless headphones, right? Everyone has the wireless headphones, pixel buds. It doesn't make for a fun dynamic where the people in person get to overpower and the other remote person. <laughs> It's <laughs> the classic remote work yeah. conundrum. Because it's just like the three of us. It was just you, me, and Andy, right? Yeah. 
You got majority'd. Yeah, oh, it's sick. My phone died. I got a new phone. I got a Pixel 5a. It looks cool. Ah. It looks nice. You see my Berserk pattern. No one else can see it. But imagine a very emo picture of Berserk. So is your previous phone a Pixel 3 or something else? It is a Pixel 3, yeah. Okay. I guess there was there's some drama going on online, which may or may not have happened to my phone. I don't know. But there was some update that bricked a whole bunch of Pixel phones all at the same time. And mine died right <laughs> around the same time. But I was asleep when it died, so I have no idea what happened to it. But I'm guessing it auto-updated and died like the rest of them. <laughs> so usually like when you do a trade-in on a phone, like they give you a pretty good deal. And I wanted to see just like what it would be worth if it wasn't a total break and wouldn't even turn on or charge. And it's like 45 bucks. Usually it's like more, like 100 or more or something. But they're like, I'm guessing all the pixels are dying. So they're like, don't let people get money for them. Nobody wants this shit. Well, at least it died peacefully in your sleep. Yeah, in my sleep. That's how I want to get it. It was probably screaming in pain and rage. I don't know. It's good for somebody. Yeah. It's a good phone, though. Pixel 3, man. I liked it. Hmm. Although I had a fucking crack in the top corner for a, an entire ah. year and a half, and it wasn't enough of a crack to like buy a new phone, but it was like, yeah. annoying as fuck. I've got that going on with my phone right now. I dropped it um, on a, on like my mom's kitchen floor, and there was like a piece of sand on the floor, and it like scraped along the front of the glass. Uh. So there's just like a, a mild scratch along the like top of it. No. And it's not that is not enough to warrant replacing anything, but it's just there. Yeah, you can't even see it unless it's like black, right? The screen, like if the screen's mm-hmm. off, then you can see it. It's yeah. the only time. That's that's even God, worse because it. it's so irritating. It's like, you know. I had a Pixel two for several years longer than I probably should have, and I had a habit of dropping it with some degree of regularity. Mm. And like, it it never sort of like you know I dropped it and then I picked it up and it looked cracked afterward. But it just, it suddenly started getting like progressively more cracked. Like, you know, I maybe, you know, gave like a seed crack when I dropped it and then it, you know, went through a heating and cooling cycle or something. And it's just like, as the years went on, it just progressively got worse and worse and worse. But it was never the screen that caused me to replace it. It was because the battery had deteriorated to the point where I had to charge it like twice a day if I actually wanted to continue using it. Oh, no. That was the worst. Yeah. Because <sighs> like the worst is I have basically no sense of direction, I think partially attributable to who I am, you know, and partially attributable to having grown up with uh, things like Google Maps and whatnot. Yeah. Yeah. And so I'd be out visiting a place that I'm unfamiliar with. And because my phone's this piece of shit that, you know, has, you know, should have been put out the past year years ago, it would die. And then I'd have to try to figure out how to navigate from where I was to back home using maps or, you know, something else like that or asking for directions from people it was awful physical would mess. not recommend interacting with other i can't do that i wouldn't be able to do it especially because when i ask people for directions i'm just like i don't know what you just said it's all gone yeah <laughs> it's the worst like whenever i'm visiting my parents and like i they're giving me instructions to go somewhere i'm like just give me the address and put it into my gps and i'll figure it out they're like no 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 it's really easy you just keep on driving until you see that giant red barn on the right and then you turn past it be sure to make with to wait until the second one and guys are yeah i like that and I'm like, no, please stop. S- save us both some time here. But no. <laughs> I can't. I can't. <laughs> I my can't. eyes are on the road. Also, I gave up driving. I hate driving. I don't want to drive anywhere. I sold my car. <laughs> oh. Years ago. I always thought those of us who grew up playing, like, I guess older school video games kind of like trained an innate sense of direction because a lot of those games required you to have one. Like, I developed mine playing EverQuest. Uh huh. And I called it Dungeon Sense. Like, okay. those dungeons down there were like super maze like and. 
EverQuest had no mini-map system, at least at, at the beginning, and you had dire consequences if you couldn't figure out how to navigate your way around those places. <laughs> and I definitely brought that skill with me into, into the rest of my life. I wish that it worked that way for me, but instead I have like the experience where I was playing, you know, Doom Eternal recently. And, you know, these aren't terribly super complicated maps or whatnot, but I would find myself running in circles in them, just being like, I think this is where I'm supposed to go. And they even have a map built into the game itself. But even using that, I would still manage to freaking get lost. So clearly I never developed some sort of dungeon sense or whatnot. <laughs> My favorite uh, dungeon crawling retro game map sense thing maybe i mentioned it before but um i played recently i played a little bit of fantasy star one which was originally for the master system and uh, i don't know how they pulled this off i mean if it's a very hacky way but the dungeons are actually first person like weird like pseudo fake 3d there's no map and like you see like a hallway and it's first person and you'll see like you know you can go left or right or forward or whatever and like the only way to navigate these dungeons is to like get graph paper and draw it out. There's no way you're going to be able nice. to actually like do it in your brain. Because also, what's really fun is that there's dungeons where you will fall down a trap door into another lower level of the dungeon and be completely lost. <laughs> oh. it's, it's awful. <laughs> yeah, I'm wondering how much of that was just a means to try to sell the uh, you know game guides that they had in paper back then mm -hmm. the primo the prima mm -hmm. official strategy guide Prim, primera. Yeah. Is yep. it prima? primera primera yeah, yeah. Primera. prima fuck shit i always called it primera <laughs> like a primrose oh maybe it was it i don't know we're all little children who can't read back then mm. i still can't read <laughs> yeah probably not <laughs> audible baby don't need it <laughs> well we were we were already talking a little bit about retro games so let's make that our let's do, let's let's get to the topic. Let's do that thing. Sick. Where we talk about a topic. We talked about it. We're going right we into the topic. We almost approached it completely organically, and then no. we just had to seize it by the throat and walk forward. <laughs> yeah, look Always at, look it down the throat and say that's a gross throat. I say it's for the it's for the edification of the listeners, so they can be like, "What is this podcast about?" Mm. <laughs> Dear listener, the podcast today is about retro games. Retro games. That's mm -hmm. a broad topic, Brendan. Why don't you? elaborate on the all right topic. fine fine so uh you could i don't know we could break it down in two ways so we could talk about retro games meaning like games that literally came out you know back in sort of the retro age of video games which i guess you could say is like the 80s and 90s uh but there's also like a trend now of you know styling games like retro games but they're they've come out in recent years and they're more modern and usually they're indie mm. and it's just it's a cool interesting you know it's like a cool interesting uh phenomenon that's definitely definitely based on the fact that the people making those games grew up playing the real retro games right yeah um and they're games that I love to play, and I like the mm -hmm. look. I love I love the look of pixel art and and uh, eight bit or I guess you could, everyone called it eight bit, but you know retro style music, all yep. those cool things sure. and simple gameplay. Simple, you know, like all the games out there nowadays have like all the the boom bam quick time events and the three D graphics and yeah. the crafting systems and then everything mm -hmm. else. And uh, sometimes definitely just... need achievements. Yeah, okay, tons of achievements. Sometimes you just like a game where you just jump. You just jump over things and you're made of pixels. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I like those games. Well, there's a couple of things that, that are like worth mentioning here, right? Like, A, tools have progressed to the point where pretty much anybody with any amount of like actual determination can make something. And B, a lot of these like classic games are very not simple, but like easy to like understand and create 
the guts for because there's a lot of tutorials out there. The math for it is not that hard, specifically for 2D games as well. Like, you type in Google for anything you want, and you can like find a tutorial on how to make a platformer or or whatever. You know, in in a couple hours of downloading whatever Game Maker Unity Unreal Engine. I don't know. Can you make a 2D game in Unreal Engine? You probably can. <laughs> I don't see why not. I don't know. It sounds it sounds like a hassle. Um, but probably Game Maker and Unity. But my but the point that I'm getting at is that two people, one person, a small team of indie people can make a whole thing that uh, normally a studio would have made before, because yeah. technology has advanced to a certain point that it's it's a lot easier to make that. Uh, and I think it's worth calling out as sort of a corollary and also kind of what you're saying indirectly. It's a lot less time consuming and you know less costly to make you know pixel art type assets than modern really complicated 3D models with all sorts of random things that are. The hallmark of modern AAA games. Mm -hmm. Modern AAA <laughs> games are really fucking expensive to make. Yeah, that's only true if you scope your game properly, which some yeah. people are not good at doing. Yeah, yeah I was gonna. And then, and then the pixel art becomes more expensive. Yeah. Well, two mm. D art becomes more expensive <laughs> than three D art if you do it wrong. Uh, I guess and by so. wrong, quote unquote, I mean like. I don't know. I guess if you're talking about Cuphead, but if you're talking much. about like I don't know, Last of Us Two, the, the way that like a, a you know. A 32 by 32 sprite is going to be more involved and expensive than, <laughs> than you know, hundreds of thousands of, of uh, like, fully rendered, normal mapped, multi-textured nonsense. But I guess that's yeah, better. I'm, and I mean, on top of that, like, modern games, they have people wearing customized suits to do motion capture in order to do the animations of the characters. Like, you're at the point where you're hiring actors to make your video games now. That's definitely not something an indie developer is typically going to have the budget for. Yeah. I, know. I think there's there's also like an interesting dynamic though with um the fact that people like don't really know how to do pixel art nowadays like it's not a thing that it's taught right like everybody there's a million obviously there's a lot of demand for because triple a games there's a million artists out there who know how to you know make 3d models and there's a bunch of people who know how to do rigging and animation and stuff and like there's kind of like the the you know population <laughs> that can do pixel art is like just hobbyists like us basically Probably. Um, and there's also <laughs> yeah. kind of an interesting like um, angle with like something like fighting games where um, it's actually easier to do 3D, not just for like art pipeline reasons, but because imagine you want to change the frame data for a move. You want to make this one faster. Oh, no. I, yeah. I move, I, I, like if it's 3D, I make the animation slightly faster. If it's 2D, I have to redraw every single fucking frame of the animation. <laughs> So yeah. you can see kind of why this may have been why, you know, Arxis who make, you know, Guilty Gear and like Dragon Ball Fighters and stuff moved to this crazy elaborate, you know, an amazing looking 3D pipeline that's actually cell shaded and it looks like 2D, but it's actually 3D. So it's, yeah. it's not just that they can do cool camera effects. It also probably helps their, you know, iteration as and well. Like an interesting like side note with that too, is that like they'd actually been using 3D models for, for a long time, even before that, but they were just like do reference poses and like draw their pixel art over and like embellish you know so they would they would like have a, like key poses done with 3d models um to help with consistency and stuff like and that's I how they did donkey kong country right weren't those they they right. like rendered 3d models just and shrunk them down to pixels uh, basically pixel size and then made sprite sheets out of pictures of 3d models basically <laughs> so that's kind of the same um they they were yeah. doing like pre-rendered sprite sheets for the, the characters what what arxis were doing um with their games were 
they would like have their three render 3d character but then they would pixel art over top of it so they, they would just use mm -hmm. it as a reference not like a, as the actual final art gotcha, gotcha i think mario kart 64 did something similar as well like it was clearly like bitmaps but i think that they had 3d models that they basically just rendered down into a bunch of uh sprite sheets afterward yeah now that's there's a question is mario 64 I'm sorry, Mario Kart 64, a retro game now? I think so. Is 64 considered retro? It's a, it's a, it's a it's traveling a... gradient. I think the PlayStation <laughs> 1 era are. is now retro, right? Like, because, see, here's, here's, how I, here's how I'll define it. Because now we're starting to get uh, indie game versions of PS1 style graphics. There's a bunch of, there's a bunch of indie games that are coming out with, with that style. I, don't, I don't, can't think of any specific examples, but I see them all over Twitter. Um, pe people are making cool art and cool games in the PlayStation 1 style. Because, for the exact same reason, there's a lot of 3D tools and making low-res models with low-res textures with low, like, basically pixel art texture mapping is a hell of a lot easier than making a modern AAA, you know, normal mapped out to hell. Everything is insane, crazy, you know, 4096 textured, whatever the hell character model. <laughs> you know? He's got 800 triangles. Sick. <laughs> I think Solid Snake had 800 triangles in the like Solid 1. Something like that? Mm. Maybe? I don't know. <laughs> so many triangles. Yeah. Oh my god, what are you going to do with all those triangles? Yeah, so many triangles. They, only, they only gave him like 4 or 5 for his face, though. Yeah, it's very few. I, re I remember fantasizing about the day when th when 3D human characters would have individual fingers. Remember when it was all yeah. blocky, fisty, mitten yeah. type? Like Final Fantasy 7 models where it's like you know, <laughs> a little... You have like a square for the wrist and then a square for the hands. Yeah, <laughs> yeah they didn't have any it's blending perfect. there too. It's just like they would wiggle the square and you can see it was disconnected. It was crazy. <laughs> but that's another interesting one because they didn't really have any texture maps in Final Fantasy VII either. They had they had two little texture map things for the eyes, and everything else was what's called vertex colors, which is where hmm. um, every every vertice has a color value, and you can do linear interpolation between the two of them, but it's just flat solid colors. Kind of cool. So the 3D model itself is colored, and you're not like sticking an image around the 3D model like wrapping paper, which is how textures usually work. Yep, it's just a just a regular old 3D model with with the uh, with colors. Um, you see, actually, that kind of style came back because it's really simple, like stuff like Risk of Rain, uh, Risk of Rain Two. I guess I should qualify that. But a lot of indie games, like um, the whole like VR age, turned into like vertex shading, like. Lollapalooza, you know. Yep. Because <laughs> it's cheap. <laughs> VR it's cheap, cheap and VR has to render at sixty frames plus sixty frames minimum. Otherwise, you get right? sick. And twice. <laughs> yeah. And twice. That's one for each eye. Right. Uh, so. so you know, hey, vertex, uh, vertex colors are great. Super hot. I fucking love the aesthetic mm -hmm. of Super Hot. By the way, if you haven't played it, yeah, it's like the best VR game. Like I, I like was so like I don't know about VR until I like stuck on a helmet and played Super Hot and I was like oh fucking I get it <laughs> you know mm. that was a really good yeah it's a really good uh, application of, of 3D for anyone who doesn't know it's like a 3D shooter game where time is it's exactly tied to your like movement so there's like a bunch of enemies like attacking you and shooting bullets at you and you can like dodge bullets but the cool thing about it is that like it, the bullets are only moving while you're moving. So like you can kind of react and go and 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 really feel like it's like in the matrix and like time like speeds up and slows down based on what you're doing. Yeah, and you can like disarm your enemy. I've I've actually not played. It. I've only seen some cool videos of it. Oh, it's so good. Um, well, yeah. I like Beat Saber better, but whatever. Yeah. Beat Saber is also cool. Beat Saber is like the game that I would actually play. 
but oh, yeah. super hot is the thing. It's like you put so, you put somebody in a room super hot, and they're like, ah, I get it. And then you actually we're not here. Really, whatever, whatever. We're not here to sell. VR. We're not here to talk <laughs> about VR. VR, but. But and one thing that one thing I was making think about VR is so we have you have like um you know of course like the pixel art days and then you have like the early old school 3D we consider that retro. Is there a point where like it just stops being it will never be considered retro just because it was just sort of like you know say say like the Xbox 360 era or something like that right it's just like not or, or even just the normal Xbox era like the graphics at least are just not like uh kind of quote unquote bad enough to be considered retro but they're not good enough because they're trying to be realistic and so like mm-hmm. yeah. So that's what's, what's the next what is the next retro is kind of the question I'm asking. So I'm curious about that myself because now we're in the weird shit where we keep remaking stuff. Like we had the the Halo Master Chief collection, but we did all the Halo games with like updated graphics and like an untold amounts of remasters and re-releases and HD whatever's. So like I feel like that era, like the 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 2000s, like the 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 2010s I guess, like the the Xbox 360 life cycle. It's just going to be like a weird forgotten <laughs> like, like black sheep. It's like, you know, the early 2000s in fashion. Everyone's just like, eh. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we were like those frosted tips. Yeah. Frosted tips and baggy pants. Jinko jeans. Oh, yeah. So you don't think that retro is going to be the sliding window of a style from 10 years ago that's perpetually moving forward into the future? I, mean, I kind of don't. But I feel I like it's going to be something else. Yeah, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I think I'm a little more aligned with Trevor here. It's like we're 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 old you know <laughs> i think the kids these days do think of like 360 as retro because that's what they grew up with mm, right you know, so but i mean on the other hand it doesn't have the same advantages we're talking about right now in terms of being not very labor intensive to make graphics for it and whatnot yeah so like i don't think someone's going to intentionally say you know what let's make a game and use the aesthetic of modern 3d graphics if only we were handicapped to the hardware that was available 10 years ago yeah <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. So maybe, maybe though, maybe not. Maybe, maybe it'll come around. So I think like that stuff will all get bundled together, right? Like this current era of tech is going to be like, if you combine the 2010s and the 2020s, like obviously it's much better, but it's kind of the same thing, right? It's just like, oh, now we have normal maps. Oh, now we have better lighting. Oh, now we have HDR, you know, like it's kind of all lumped together, right? And I think the next jump in tech, whatever it be, like voxel rendering or nonsense, whatever the next like huge leap of of, of graphical fidelity is, will will but maybe it's available not, maybe it's not. video cards. Yeah. That's going to be the big jump when you can buy video cards again, <laughs> right? <laughs> I still got an ancient 1070, man. I'm going to ride that shit till it explodes because I I've got a 1080. Uh, <laughs> yeah, mine's even old. I'm at 970. Oh my god, Down my retro awesome. level. Yeah, uh, I was using a I think a 680 at my parents' place. Well, as long as it can play factor right now. yeah right <laughs> yeah. I, i'm actually really confused about the numbering of graphics cards did they, when, <laughs> when did they start at zero <laughs> when, when was the zero graphics card? and then was it like graphics card number one I and feel then like... it was a big deal when it became number 100 well, well they do like a series thing so every like at least with nvidia it's like every every series is plus 100 and then they have different versions of that but i guess it's because like like you started at ten, and every series was another ten. We're gonna have like a, a series ten graphics card and a series eleven. No, that sounds stupid. You want a ten seventy? They they switched it though. They it used to be hundreds, now it's thousands, right? It's like yeah. it's like the most significant digit because yeah. they went from like nine hundreds to thousands, and now they're in two thousands. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they're doing sort of like the equivalent of like number inflation, like you see in MMOs and whatnot yeah. as expansions go on. 
I mean, like originally, I think like they had a card that was literally called the G Force, and then the next card that they released was like the G Force Two. It was yes, oh, I mean, you're right, you're right. It was exactly that. Yeah. Once upon a time, you would increment the numbers by one when you made your next product. Yeah. It was a very very strange time. Think about the you know? Xbox. They went from the Xbox oh, to the gosh. Xbox 360, and then to yep. the Xbox One X. <laughs> yeah. I always call that one the X Bone. X Bone. Hell yeah. <laughs> one one Xbox. One Xbox. Yeah, please. Yeah. <laughs> What's the new one called? What? Do people even have that? I don't Ser- know. Series? Xbox Series? Series X? X? Series S? It's awful. Right. I don't know what their brand you know people what? are thinking. It's Thank you, PlayStation. Bad. Thank you, Sony Entertainment America, for calling it the PlayStation 5. Seriously. <laughs> and not the new PlayStation. Fuck you, Apple. Mm-hmm. Xbox Series X. <laughs> yeah. That's going to be the sex box. Yeah, the sex box. I kind of yeah. wish that Xfinity or like the uh, Xbox people had just sort of pulled the trigger and said, you know what, we're going to go from the Xbox. The next one is the Xbox 3. Because, you know, it was all a marketing decision in order to compete with the PlayStation 3, and they couldn't have an Xbox 2 competing with the PlayStation 3. Yeah. But if they just sort of said, you know what, fuck it. PlayStation, you know, Xbox 3. And you know what, we're going to beat them because the next generation, it's going to be the Xbox. Xbox Five, plus, plus one. I guess plus PlayStation two. Four. It's twice as good. Exactly. Uh, Make it a Y box. Yeah, Y box. Yeah, I was gonna say they should add a new dimension. Yeah, XYZ <laughs> box, third dimension. Experience 4D gaming. <laughs> That'll be on the market. Revolutionary. Yeah. Anyway, we're lost in the weeds here. I don't even know what we're talking about no more. Retro yeah. game. The moral Ayo. of the, the moral of the story is that marketing has a hard time counting to ten. Yeah. Yeah. So okay. So let's let's talk about like um these like this like re revolution of 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 indie retro games, right? So there's a couple of things also that I think are really cool. One, computer power is finally to the point where you don't have to optimize the shit out of everything to have a game that's fun anymore. So you can have like a lot more shit happening at once, which is kind of like a lot of those games had like crazy technical restrictions, like, you know, only four sprites in a row or something. Like now you can have a whole bunch of guys on the screen and you can do cool stuff like Factorio, you know? Is that a retro game? It has retro graphic style? I don't know, maybe not, but- um, Yeah, I don't know. Like so something that's like almost like quintessential to the feeling of being retro is the sort of weird things that have to happen as a result of those constraints, right? Like certain gameplay styles, visual things, even like audio things were because they had to do it that way. But then we liked it because it was distinctive. Yeah. And now I'm we like sorry, carry but you can only have you can only have three projectiles out at once at the same time. Yeah, right? <laughs> the system is incapable of handling four projectiles. And if you, uh, if you fly once. your plane into the line of enemies that has more than four sprites in a row, it has to decide. Uh, so it'll flicker one of the enemy sprites and one of your sprites and also a bullet sprite. <laughs> whatever um, i guess that's one of my favorite things about like the kind of mid period like arcade like bullet hell shmups is that when there's a lot of bullets on screen the game slows down because they can't handle it much but that makes the game easier yeah and it's intentional yep. like that you can't if you play it at full 60 fps you're just gonna die <laughs> <laughs> time dilation you should you should build that in there like the more bullets on screen like it'll still render it you know obviously Everyone's NRG, whatever the fuck, gaming monitors are 240 hertz or something. It'll still render at 240 hertz, but your time will slow down and it makes a matrix noise. Yeah, they. I mean, they have to. They have to like emulate that when they do ports of like PC ports of old arcade shooters. They have to like manually put in oh, slow down when there's lots of bullets on screen. I think it's probably worth talking about some games that we played recently that follow the sort of retro aesthetic we're talking about. Yeah. Um, yeah. The first thing, the game that comes to mind simply because I played it recently, I think on the recommendation of one of you all, was uh, Loop Hero. Hey, yo. Um, yeah. Yeah. Loop Hero is That's the one that we all played and then talked to about on an episode, right? Yes. Insert that number here somewhere. 48 is the Loop Hero episode. 
a they do a lot of weird emulation to like fake like um crt stuff and and like weird monitor stuff to make it feel like a retro game and b it's more on the side of authentic in terms of like color depth and number of colors rendered and stuff like that i'd put that in the same category as shovel knight where shovel knight went to the extreme where i think they even have like an alternate rendering mode that is only 8-bit color um like actually 8-bit color which is nuts but whatever yeah that was part of the artistry of pixel art right is being able to creatively use like a very limited color palette but then like yeah dithering and all these other techniques that made it look like you have more colors even if you don't yeah so there's there's kind of two schools to it that there's the authentic side and then there's the what your brain remembers side so <laughs> like the what your brain remembers side is where people are kind of going nuts and their characters have tons of colors and they have lavish color palettes and they got way more than any 8 or 16 bit game could ever have uh, and then the other side of that is where people are trying to be more authentic and, and really trying to drill down and like, you know, their sprites only have four colors. And like, if you go to the NES era, that's like insane. Like, like a sprite can only have four total colors, which means that if you want to have transparency on your sprite, you can only have three colors. <laughs> and oh, your, your sprite is eight by eight. So like, if you ever wondered why, like, shit looks so gnarly and like weirdly colored on NES games, it's because a character sprite what an, an eight by eight cell can only have four colors so but you can do interesting hmm. stuff like like for example the original Mega Man, like he's he is the blue black like a cyan color but his face has like a flesh tone to it right it's because they have a separate sprite on top of the Mega Man character that draws his face oh shit um, <laughs> so he's made of multiple sprites well all, almost all characters are multiple sprites like um like for example Mega Man's made up of four set different cells so he's mm -hmm. broken up into four pieces. Um, Mario 2, he has a, a, a flat white sprite behind his head for his eye color. His eyes are transparent. And uh, certain, nice. certain uh, like, if you walk in front of the doors that, like, teleport you into the shadow zone, you'll see, like, that color behind his eyes. Because <laughs> oh. because of like layer flickering stuff, <laughs> it just blows my mind how incredibly technically limited like the NES and the games that played on it were. Yeah. Like, I mean, I think I've thrown this factoid out before, but like a screenshot of Super Mario Brothers shared on the internet nowadays is like one or two orders of magnitude more data than the entirety of the Super Mario Brothers ROM. <laughs> the, the, the game itself, yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah, JPEGs, man, they got a lot of headers. <laughs> <laughs> yep. <laughs> oh man, that's nuts. Oh, I just hmm. kick my fridge. Hold on a second. Kick the fridge. Okay. Kick the fridge. Yeah, I lost my train of thought. I forgot what we were talking about. But I was going to go back to loop here a little yeah, bit. Yeah, um, simply. Talk about loop here. Yeah. So, I think that so it went for both a sort of like retro style of aesthetic to the point where they actually had like renders that you could turn on or off that sort of made it look more like a CRT monitor. Mm -hmm. But also in terms of like the gameplay itself, like you, the number of enemies that you went against were always limited to like, you know, four or something. Um, they basically sort of chose to take in some of the sort of technical restrictions you might have sort of encountered with a Nintendo game back then. And they also had sort of, you know, similarly, you know, like low fidelity sound effects and whatnot. Um, I mean, it definitely felt a lot like I was playing an NES game from that era or whatnot. Yeah. I think more than a lot of indie games, Loop Hero really felt like it could have be playing on a Sega Genesis mm -hmm. um, or an N64. But it felt more like a Genesis game, you know? It had so much darks <laughs> with real bright colors, you know? Mm -hmm. Nintendo always had those that soft look. But mm -hmm. 
but the and also the fact that like the entire screen would never update at once it would always be this sort of like fade out effect as they're sort of like yeah. busily trying to draw out the old scene <laughs> that's my favorite little factoid too is that like those old old school rpgs and stuff like that where they'd have the cool text crawl out and make a little noise like when someone's talking it's just because they couldn't draw all the text at once they couldn't draw that many sprites to the screen <laughs> so they would draw letter by letter <laughs> <laughs> it's so it's like <laughs> i always thought they did it because it was fun and cool mm-hmm. they can't <laughs> i don't know yeah. i mean it also is fun and, those cool. are the... oh. but like, and those are the sorts of restrictions that get carried forward into future games yeah. until they irritate the hell out of people like i remember the original world of warcraft they did like the you know when you start a quest it's like here's the text out one character at a time <laughs> and it wasn't until later that they like added an option for you to see all the text at once and then made that the default eventually mm. and in like modern world of warcraft though like the thing is so small that like you really have to go out of your way to read it you're really just clicking accept to go to the next thing <laughs> yeah you know whatever <laughs> world of warcraft baby yep that and that i feel like world of warcraft is old enough at this point that it kind of could be considered retro but they do keep on changing the game and the graphics and whatnot i like i don't know if they're on the second or third iteration of like all the basic models but like they've redone a lot of content in that game to modernize it yeah i mean they had the whole classic wow thing which is like a weird <laughs> fourth wall breaking retro thing right where they re-release their own whatever mm-hmm. and they're doing that again i just read that within the last week like they're doing a sort of a new server running Legacy World of Warcraft, but with some updates to it that they were reluctant to do during the initial phase because they wanted it to be as close to the uh, Legacy version as possible. Like they're increasing experience gains. Uh, they're like adding some convenience features from Modern World of Warcraft. Oh man, um, it, it's weird. It's weird. What is, it? is original World of Warcraft retro now? It's got to be right. That's almost that's almost twenty years old. Well, it's interesting because Didn't like they? at the time when World of Warcraft came out, everyone was telling it like the casual, like this is this is so modern. Uh, you yeah, know. it was a lot more modern than like <laughs> EverQuest, yeah. Whatever, yeah, right. Or or um, what's the two D one that everyone loved? Ultima, Ultima Online. Online, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, the grandfather of them all. You know, whatever. Mm-hmm. We can talk about MMOs for two hundred years, but oh yeah, yeah. Um, I don't know. It's it's interesting to me though where they take like um the aesthetic and the gameplay features of old games, but they also do things that you couldn't do back then. Specifically mm. with Loop Hero, there's like way more shit on the screen that you could ever do. And like I don't think anyone would ever make a weird board game RPG game thing back then. I don't know, maybe they would. Yeah. <laughs> I was going to say like that to me it feels like a very strange sort of anachronism almost that that kind of game being in that kind of aesthetic is like You'd never make a weird roguelike crossover board game time thing. No one would ever make a game like that on a back in the nineties. Yeah. Like that just didn't exist. Roguelikes did exist on console. I did bring it up way back when. Mm-hmm. Fatal Labyrinth on Genesis, but those are very rare. Dragon for, Crystal for, for Game Gear. Mm. I actually mm. saw found my Game Gear recently oh, and shit. recycled it. Nice. Oh well, <laughs> goodbye, Game Gear. <laughs> yeah. Um or just like even like simpler things like having a whole bunch of enemies on screen, you know. Or mm-hmm. just having collision detection that works, or just like higher frame rates or whatever, you know? One good example of this I can think of is um, Undertale. Mm. Um, Hell yeah, perfect. Where most, most, yeah, most of the game itself is like very sort of like retro RPG type thing um, with, you know, like low fidelity graphics, bitmaps, things like that, including like the combat system. And then like 
slight spoiler, you know, like at the sort of end of the game, like if you go a particular way, um, like you're in this giant Photoshop complicated, like, you know, evil plant trying to kill you, doing all sorts of weird trippy things that are definitely beyond the capabilities of a retro game. <laughs> and I kind of feel like part of the reason why, you know, they chose that stylistic direction to go with the enemy is because it makes it a little bit disconcerting after you've been in this sort of retro game for this entire period of time. And then all of a sudden, to throw you something which is clearly outside of that aesthetic. Yeah, yeah, and and that boss is the one that breaks the fourth wall and addresses you as the player and manipulates your game. Yes, mm. yeah, I, I do like the breadcrumb stuff leading up to that too. It's not like it only is like fourth wall breaking at that, but like even battle yep. mechanic stuff. There's there's like you know, like sometimes bosses will do things that like physically damage your UI of the battle game, not like your mm -hmm. character. Right? You're like, what the fuck. <laughs> you know it's just very clever mm -hmm. uh i don't know super super great love letter to rpgs and old school gaming um absolutely played it yeah and i think as we mentioned before the guy who made it got his start at making mods of you know like what was it earthbound roms or something oh shit yeah it's very he's very very deeply influenced by earthbound also i think a lot of the stuff in the soundtrack some of the sound fonts might be like pretty much the exact same sounds as those on the Earthbound soundtrack. Ah. Can you talk about the concept of a sound font? That sounds awesome. I don't know what that is. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So that's kind of a, I don't know. It's more of a software term, I guess, more recently. Um, I mean, this guy's is kind of analogous to, you know, font for, for text. It's not I a super. I prefer my explosions in Times New Roman. Yeah. Yeah. The, the explosions all have to have serifs on the whole edges. So. <laughs> yes. I like serifed explosions, please. Yeah. Yeah. It's easy to read in print and hard to read on screen. Easier to hear, hear in print. <laughs> <laughs> I only want monospaced audio tracks. Yeah. <laughs> mm. Well, that's digital, right? It got no no weird human error mm. in it. I don't know. Sorry. Continue. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I guess. Yeah, it's it's sometimes a kind of a thing that are more, yeah, it's kind of a weird term, I guess. I think it kind of more refers to, you know, when you use like one sound to represent an instrument, and kind of that sound just kind of gets pitched around. It's basically analogous to how the Super Nintendo soundtrack worked, which is like it played out like in a little sample of a guitar playing one note, and you hear the guitar playing, and it didn't like you would you would play it up this real high note, it would be shorter and faster because it could just play it at a higher pitch, right? So it was playing samples of real instruments, just like pitched around rather than doing any kind of like synthesizer thing like the genesis did so it's like example. all of the dog bark sounds in undertale yep yeah. oh okay <laughs> sorry yeah like there's a song that's just made out of the dog barks <laughs> so i mean that just like makes so much more sense as to why so much of um snes music has that kind of texture to it yeah it has like a real it has like a real flavor to it even though it's kind of by modern standards it's very uncanny valley because it doesn't really sound like real instruments with some very few exceptions yeah and um, i mean it, it's a real throwback to like that was the day when like midi files or like mod files were how music was made back then because you didn't have enough like capacity to have giant wave files some sort of compression or whatnot um i one of the favorite soundtracks i remember growing up was for star control 2 and that was all like midi and mod files and for clarity like those are files where it's like you just have like effectively the sheet music encoded into a digital representation and then with mod 
uh, encoded music, like they'd also have like those brief like sound fonts that Ford was talking about in terms of it would include a sampling of all of the sounds that would then be used for all of those various pitches. Oh, cool. And so it was a lot smaller and easier to transport back then, um, but also put some pretty severe limitations on what sort of sounds you could and could represent, could not represent in music. That makes so much think- more sense because like I remember back in the day, Andrew and I would always be downloading MIDI files from like, you know, all the, every single game that we ever liked. But obviously it was dependent upon what your computer and like what the like audio renderer was doing, you know, <laughs> it'd be like. And your sound card. Back in the sound, era cards. sound yeah. cards matter. If you, if sound you blaster. downloaded the instructions for how your computer would draw a JPEG and it would be different on different people's computers. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, that, that kind of blew my mind. It must have been really frustrating as like a composer back then. So it's like, it's just going to sound different on different people's computers. It's not drastically different. So there's a thing called, the standard called general MIDI, which you probably heard the that phrase before that that kind of defines like there's a set of sort of instruments that it's like this one is like this the square wave synthesizer here's a guitar here's like a set of drums and like all these stand like sound cards that are kind of supposed to conform to the standard and say like okay this thing can make this sound somehow either via a synthesizer or, or like some sampling thing or whatever so they kind of sound roughly the same but they all these different you know brands yamaha roland noise other companies would make their own versions of that stuff so yeah i just remember like people you know talking online about like oh when you play doom you gotta buy the roland sc 880 mm-hmm. like sound thing and that sounds better it sounds really cool when you play e1 m1 or do 3d or whatever this is making me think of like that very 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 brief period of time where vi- video games for computer were available on cd and this was before you know you had uh compression and things like um mp3s and whatnot and the way that some of them provided their music was his actual like CD tracks on the same disc, just on a different track from the data. So like you'd install the game and then you'd leave the CD and it would be playing music from the CD. And this was like, uh, I think Descent 2 did this. Mm-hmm. I think Quake Warcraft 2? 2 did this. Yeah. And like at the time it was like, whoa, the sound music sounds amazing. <laughs> Do you think it was a nerve wracking experience like in the studio when there was like, all right, you're about to play the guitar note that's going to be used for all the guitar notes. And it's like, all right, all right, all right, all right here we go. Make a count. And it's like, bong. And then they just scale that up and down. Is that the forever? I guess. It's, it's some, somewhere there's the, the Ur guitar note, the original note. Yeah. yeah, the note. Well, I mean, there's plenty of stuff like that, right? Like there's the, the orchestra hit, right? That like every single mm. rap oh, yeah. track uses, right? Like, <laughs> <laughs> or whatever, right? <laughs> and I, I watched like a mini documentary about that. And it's just like some dude like recording a whole bunch of stuff and he thought was cool. <laughs> and then like that orchestra hit became like the thing that everyone used forever, you know? But orchestra hit, I'm not sure what you're talking about. Um, It's like it's it's a, this uh, one little audio clip of like, I think it's like the beginning of some symphony where it's a Stravinsky piece or something I think. yeah yeah imagine imagine like that guitar thing except it's like every single note every single instrument in an orchestra all going at the same time yeah. <laughs> like, did you, did and then you can scale that up and down and make it sound like an orchestra is playing i guess yeah okay um god i don't, I don't remember why i know this but I, i'm pretty sure that like like there was a really crunched down version of it in the x-men arcade game sound test uh-huh. <laughs> or like like hmm. whatever you would like put a quarter in it would play like a little like little melody and like all the notes would be that orchestra hit like it's just like you know <laughs> this this is a complete random tangent but it's making me think of that the law and order sound this sort of like dong dong 
that they have when they transition from one scene to another. A little yeah, bit, yeah. It's it's which like similar flavor to it's, that, but like every single instrument. I bring that up shape. because they actually spent a lot of time making that, and it's like a combination of like monks chanting and like you know books hitting the ground and a bunch of other things like that. Whoa. It's like actually a very <laughs> synthetic the, sound. The fluttering of a butterfly's wings <laughs> layered upon a little bit of eye of newt. It's it's with the hammer. It's like that's supposed to evoke a gavel. Or a judge's gavel, right. but it doesn't really sound like that at all. Aside from being like a big, like a percussive sound, yeah. it's just like really huge in your face. It's a, yeah, is it supposed to? Is it supposed to be the like emotional impact of the gavel? Because that just sounds like bop. Yeah, but this is like bong. I don't know. Well, there's, you know, there's then you got to play Phoenix right, so you can have an actual gavel sound, and it's, it's kind of fun because it's like really anticlimactic. It's just like a, you know, <laughs> not like an actual. Anyway, whatever. Uh, it's a game if Phoenix Wright known for its realism. Yeah. <laughs> Indeed. It's a real law. Uh are, going back to retro games, are there any like actual old old school retro games that were like particularly, I don't know, impactful or influential on you guys? I've got one. It was The Secret of Mana. Hey mm. sick. Good like, choice. Excellent. Yeah, it was an excellent, excellent square game. When like that they made like in parallel with the Final Fantasy games, but I was never, I never got into those, but Secret of Mana like freaking grabbed me as a kid. The the fact that you could play like multiplayer co op, which we talked about I think a couple of episodes ago, but just like the the its music and its pixel graphics were just so good. It was like the most immersive, you know, N sixty or uh, uh, Super Nintendo game that like I could ever encounter back then. Yeah, that was so good. Well, that was that was like yeah. late stage Super Nintendo too, right? So that's when they really yeah, had yeah. that shit nailed in, like Chrono Trigger era, you know, like. I don't know. It's fucking, it looks good. It's... Not to mention they were able to do that weird 3D thing, right? When you, because like fast travel mode, where you were riding a dragon and you're actually like, mm. you're going around the globe. The globe was like a flat plane in 3D, but it right. was in 3D and you could actually like navigate it in, in pseudo 3D. Mode 6, uh, baby. The same technology they used in like, uh, yeah, modes, yeah, they used that for Mario Kart. They used that for F0. Yeah. They yeah. used it for a lot of different things. There's a whole bunch of different uh, modes that you could use to draw an image to the screen. And mode 6 was the pseudo 3D one where you could do. Mm. Uh, you could take a big image and you could you could do a, a matrix transform on it to like rotate it. Yep. You know, <laughs> Secret of Mana did it. And, was and it mode seven? Maybe feature. it's mode seven. Is it mode six or oh, mode okay. seven? Mode seven sounds right now that you say mode sixty nine. <laughs> mode sixty nine. You can quote me on that. Mode sixty nine. Uh, is it mode seven? SNES. I'm going to Google SNES mode seven. <laughs> what we're gonna fact that's, check ourselves? That's actually the the secret, like uh, you know. Oh, it is mode seven, you piece of shit! Ah. Oh my <laughs> god, I'm an idiot. All right, well, mode eight, mode eight is Cthulhu mode. Yeah. Oh, I just also want to point out that's it's a funny thing with um certain Super Nintendo games where they, uh, actually some games had a chip in the cartridge to do extra fancy graphics processing. Mm. Yeah. So they were really hard to emulate for a while because they had to like, oh, this new game has its own chip in it. I think like Star Fox. I think the rotating. I think, yeah, Star Fox is a big one for the 3D stuff. I think the rotating thing we talked about before in Yoshi's mm-hmm. Island may have been. Really? Uh, something like that. Because I'm they not did sure. some of that with some of the Mega Man X games as well. I remember those were some of the later ones to get emulated properly. And it was because I think one of the bosses was like jumping around and rotating around in the air. And I think they had some hardware on the cons- or in the uh, cartridge specifically for oh, that. Oh, wow. Rotating pixels needs a new chip. Well, I mean, think about it, though. Like, how do you do that? You got pixels. Mm. You can rotate 90 degrees easy. How are you going to do an no, arbitrary rotation? <laughs> Fucking math, man. It's crazy. <laughs> I don't know. That's when you think about something like Think about something like that, right? Sonic the Hedgehog? That guy's moving around in all these different directions. 
they had to hand draw yeah. all the there's a lot of different processing. I thought that's why he was just like a blue ball, so they didn't have to do that. Yeah, well, I mean, there's a lot of different <laughs> well, rotations to that blue ball, and his regular run has like multi-angle stuff. Oh, um, yeah, you don't have to be a ball. Yeah, that game has like insane tech behind it. <laughs> like they uh, like slopes are hard now. They have like <laughs> yeah, like not just a forty-five slope. They got loop the loops. They got like multiple angles of mm-hmm. slopes. You know, like shit's crazy, man. Yeah, that was like one of the first games I ever played in my life was Sonic Two. So I never, so I, you know, I thought it was fun. I was like, oh, it's cool. You run around as fast, the Hedgehog, it's great. But I'm sure at the time it must have been mind blowing. Like, yeah, nothing, no other game had that sense of like momentum and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. It was pearls before swine. Yeah, you didn't, you couldn't appreciate what what that meant. <laughs> I mean, makes sense. I don't know. I guess I don't, I don't know. I, I, Sonic Two is probably my pick for the most influential indie game. But I wasn't really into mm. games back then. Like I was indie game, not indie game, uh, oh, retro game. <laughs> like I didn't really, I wasn't like in into it, you know, until the PlayStation mm. One era. I wasn't like mm-hmm. obsessed. <laughs> all all of my like actual most influential games are, are PlayStation One era stuff, like Xenogears, Final Fantasy Seven, Metal Gear Solid One, uh, Castlevania Symphony Night. Uh, mm. I don't know. Yeah, I feel like my like I'm a little bit older than the rest of you. I think my sort of like formative years are mostly with the Super Nintendo era, but like. I feel like I got started the same time that like video games were around as well. Like I started on an Atari, um, did a little bit of Nintendo and Super Nintendo. But I do feel like there's something about like the Super Nintendo era where it's like, you know, the first set of games that kind of, I don't know, like I want to say sort of felt real to me in a way that the Nintendo games didn't. But I'm thinking like Super Metroid, for example. Yeah. The sort of like atmosphere of that game, the sort of like, you know, comprehensiveness of the vision. like. It just sort of like, you know, was completely different than even like, you know, the Metroid or, you know, Metroid 2 for the Game Boy or whatnot. It's just, it was just such a dramatically different experience and such a huge, you know, leap from the Nintendo era. Well, I think it's like the perfect intersection of like the ability to execute high ideals, the technology being there and the tools also being there. Because you get a similar Mm -hmm. thing with like late stage, like PS2 era games where they're like really maxing out the technology. And they're they're really like doing things that that like you're like ah yes this makes sense right like this is what I wanted out of a 3D game the SNES era like late stage was like oh yes this is this is like the maximum potential of like what a 2D platformer could do you know like that mm-hmm. like is awesome like Metroid is the perfect example super like if you look at Super Metroid one on the NES or whatever or Metroid one on the NES they're like oh. Okay, mm-hmm. like I see what you're going for, but there's a lot of imagination going on. Right. There, you, know? you look at fucking Super Metroid, and you're like, fuck! This shit's yeah. awesome! <laughs> like, <laughs> it's just so well made, you know? Like, the right budget, the yeah. right direction, the right tools, the right timeline, the right technology. Like, uh, it's like the apex of that little thing. And I mean, I guess whenever I think of, like, retro uh, pixel games... I typically think more of like the Super Nintendo era than the sort of like Nintendo era or what. Yeah, I agree, actually. Yeah. Um, and I feel like part of it's because of what Roushi's talking about, the fact that it felt like sort of like the apex of, mm-hmm. you know, sprite based side scroller jumper games. Yeah. Although yeah. when I think about like Loop Hero, for example, the graphics definitely had more in common with Nintendo than Super Nintendo. Yeah, I guess so. I guess that's more of like what your brain's getting at, right? Like, they they evoke mm-hmm. the feeling of the eight bit era without being restricted to actual eight bit color. 
Right. <laughs> you know, <laughs> which is kind of a drag if you've ever tried to do it, which I have multiple times. It's really hard to make something that doesn't look like shit <laughs> with with eight bit color, depending on how accurate you want to be. Especially if you're going to use the actual color palette from the NES, which is trash. <laughs> Looks so bad. So Ford, what about you? Oh, my like formative game. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I was gonna say it's kind of funny that I have almost the opposite experience of Roush, except to a small extent, even though we're the same age. Um, so mine would be like Fantasy Star Four. Actually, going back to Fantasy Star on the Genesis, which was awesome. Just like a for some, I played a game with like a really like emotional story, and like the music was great, and the graphics are really good too. Yeah. Like it has these like manga style cutscenes. Like you never see that in like a sixteen bit game, really. Like cutscenes that are like actually really well drawn so i thought that was pretty cool it was awesome. it's funny because i actually did get into games kind of in the genesis era because i was kind of a sega fanboy at a saturn so none of that like <laughs> like 32-bit era really hit hard for me because it's like oh these games there's not very many good games for this console <laughs> yeah got some good old disney uh disney games lion king game and aladdin game i played those a lot yeah on the genesis well the uh <laughs> the super nintendo version of aladdin is awesome it's worth looking looking at. I think the Genesis one is a completely different game. Wait, really? Yeah. I wonder which one. I, I'm I'm pretty sure I played the Genesis one, but I'd have to double back. <laughs> um, I don't know. They both look cool. I know I played the Aladdin one. You want to know the Lion King one is fucking stupid. The the Super <laughs> Sega Genesis Lion King game. Andrew and I, we we um we went to uh, this this awesome little store in Rochester called Game Craze where they have a, a like. Just anything you could ever want in in terms of old hardware, you could buy. And they they had uh, the same uh, Sega Genesis version three that Andrew and I grew up with, so he he got one and controllers and a couple of games and stuff. And the clerk was like trying to upsell us. They were like, "Oh shit, we gotta get Lion King." All right, sick. And we take it back. We start booting up, and it's like the fucking. It's oh my god, it's a nightmare. That game is so hard. <laughs> yeah, they're super. It, it like it looks so good, but the collision detection just like doesn't match the sprites. It yeah. just feels like so bad to actually play. And it's that. not like good hard. It's like poorly made hard. Like you know, my movement is bad. My collision is bad. My character controlling is bad. But the graphics rate plus. So I don't know. Who knows? Yeah, I also can't imagine what it's like to back in the day port a game between those two consoles like nowadays it's like everything's unity everything's uh, runs unreal i mean you gotta optimize stuff for switch and that's where things fall over but like genesis and super nintendo completely different hardware well right like especially the, yeah. especially the soundtrack like nowadays on the ps4 plus you know everything is the same hardware same type of stuff like ps2 ps3 playstation 1 super nintendo whatever the fuck all those eras the hardware is wildly different between every different console like every yeah. single piece of it is were, different. Like, were there any games that were made for both the N sixty four and PlayStation one? Because I feel like that's about the biggest gap in hardware I can imagine. I doubt it. It can't be right. <sighs> this the size limitations alone. Right, like the N sixty four carts could only have like a hundred megabytes or something. Like, I thought I remember reading that. something about like an attempt to port Resident Evil two to the N sixty four or something like that, and it was going to be like twenty cartridges. Oh my god. I mean, maybe there are there are also some weird parts. Like, wasn't uh, StarCraft? There's a StarCraft four for N sixty four. I did play the StarCraft on the N sixty four. I actually kind of liked it. You could play StarCraft on the N sixty four. Oh my god! Yes, it was it was weird. It kind of worked, kind of didn't. <laughs> you know, like you know, you have to like save like groups of units or whatever, 
Like you end up signing them to your like C buttons, like your four C buttons. What? Yeah. And you have to scroll on your map with your joystick and everything. Oh my god. I ended up I ended up playing through the main campaign with it. I think. Wow. I, I'm like yeah. looking at this. This is crazy. They have a little menu for like you click you click on the barracks and you hit the C button to build a marine. Like, wow. Yep. Yep. That's nuts. I don't know. It, yeah, it worked better than you would expect. Yeah. Still, yeah, not, not the same as the PC. Yeah. Though. I mean, especially if you want to do any kind of significant actions per minute. <laughs> yeah, I guess not. You're not going to have a in, intense PvP. I don't think the N64 had any online capabilities. <laughs> so, no, oh, I think, you I think could, that split screen. Yeah. <laughs> you could split screen PvP StarCraft oh, on the N64. No, that is. I think I tried that exactly one time with my friends. Sounds obnoxious. Hey, stop <laughs> looking at my side of the screen. Stop yeah. it. <laughs> <laughs> see you're going for a six pool i don't know what the cheese is in starcraft what is it three pool four pool four four, four pool, pool i think yep <laughs> andrew and i play a lot of starcraft we were competitive super good more two more starcraft sorry starcraft two. Yeah. What I meant to say. starcraft yeah. like the franchise the brand my brand competitive is in like diamond league or whatever the top league is back in the day yeah before they added grandmaster Ooh. at the at the mm. During Winds of Liberty was manually when I went ham on it. Like, uh, yeah. I had one account where I I got Terran all the way up to Diamond, and then I I bought a second account and then got Zerg all the way up to Diamond, and uh, then I reset my first account to get Protoss all the way up to Diamond, but I burned out, and also I hate Protoss. <laughs> my my original plan was to get all three up to Diamond and then play random and get that up to Diamond, but <laughs> shit. <laughs> so, why so did why would? <laughs> Yeah, why separate accounts? Because your ELO is is kept, um, regardless of what race you're playing. Uh, so uh, like, if I like having never played Zerg at all, tried to jump in, I would just get destroyed and not learn anything for a long time until I tanked my my matchmaking rating um, low enough to be they, able to learn. Did they change that? And maybe they did. Did they change that later? I don't know. I think they have separate ranks for races later do they have that oh okay, yeah well i mean at, la at launch you just had your one account yeah and the only way to play was matchmaking and every matchmaking game was ranked so <laughs> there was no fooling around it was serious business which you know is pluses That's and minuses serious. i don't know i think they added unranked stuff later or whatever but who knows mm -hmm. well did we have we solved are we, are we ready to say we've solved it we've solved it your games yeah I feel like I want to bring up one one tiny more thing. Yeah. Yeah. Quick. All right. Sure. Bring it. Because because Trevor Trevor again Trevor is a little older than the rest of us. He did bring up Atari. I yeah. find it funny that it, maybe it's just because we're of a certain age, but like you don't see people ever being nostalgic for Atari. It doesn't seem to have made no impact on the culture at all. <laughs> like nobody gives a shit about yeah. it. It's bad. Well, people love the shit I out mean, of the logo. <laughs> sure. Well, I feel like part of it is that they just didn't have very good games. Like Nintendo was a pretty crude, you know, piece of technology compared to, you know, what we messed around with modern, but it gave you some sort of like glimmering of what gaming was possible, you know, capable of, you know, like things like Mega Man, things like Super Mario Brothers 3 and whatnot. But like, consider this at the height, like the most sophisticated Atari graphics you could have was a game like Adventure, where your character was a single color rectangle it, no i think it was a square I, I don't think you even had different height and length <laughs> and you know you're there's a grand total of like two enemies in that game there's a bat and there's a dragon the dragon the only reason you know it's a dragon is because i think the instruction manual tells it, you that it's a dragon otherwise it kind of looks like some sort of weird uh like i don't know like bigger bigger bat. <laughs> yeah 
it's like sort of a seahorse chicken hybrid thing that's sort of like and like you can have games in it but they're just not very sophisticated it's like okay you can get the sword and what is the sword it's literally an arrow and like you can pick up the air like sword and then as long as the arrow is the first part to touch the dragon rather than the dragon touching you you kill the dragon Nice. That is that is the height of gameplay for adventure, and adventure was one of the more complicated games that they had in Atari. Yeah. <laughs> like it's just there were so many limitations in that generation that they really couldn't do much. I mean, it goes back to like Space Invaders, where it was a side effect that as you killed off more of the invaders coming down, the game could do updates more quickly because they didn't have as many characters to render. So the fact that the game got harder and the Space Invaders started moving faster as you killed more was a side effect of limitations of the technology rather than you know intentional game design <laughs> i was gonna say like maybe atari is the wrong example but to go back to more like classic arcade games and we didn't really talk about those as retro games because they're absolutely retro but i i think they weren't so impactful at least from our point of view because they were kind of like played by like an older generation than us but that older generation didn't keep playing video games right they kind of played them and then mostly stopped whereas we played the next generation of video games and then kept playing video games as they came, came out. There was like a weird, there's like a generation sort of barrier there. Yeah. I mean, yeah. not though, there's because also... there's a lot of influential stuff like Missile Command and Asteroids and Pong even, right? Like, well, that stuff is, is still pretty heavily influential. Um, yeah, and those are the first ones too. We should also point out that there was a, this didn't happen really during our lifetime, I don't think. There's a whole no. video game crash. Oh. Right? The the industry just kind of collapsed because of oversaturation or something, yeah. and then kind of people sort of wrote it off, and then kind of the NES sort of blew up again. So there was kind of a gap when like video games were just kind of dead. Like I a, guess they were also medium. just really bad. Like the vast majority of the catalog for the Atari is awful. Like they just poorly made games. <laughs> it's like basically a tech demo. Like if you took a game jam and then put it in a box for sixty dollars, like that's the <laughs> level of game you get in an Atari game. Like the general yeah. mo- I- most Atari games are like that. I think I remember that part of the Atari crash was because of things like they did a ET game mm-hmm. where they had game. like they had literally like a month to implement the game end to end in order to you know do the same sort of marketing, and so it was a piece of trash that was really expensive and ended up sort of like doing more to fill landfills than you know actually get played, but uh, <laughs> yeah I think that was sort of the death knell for that generation. <laughs> It's there's a whole history to that. We can make it we can make an entire yeah. like episode. That, that, that is that to. is worth like early game design, early game industry history. Yeah. Um let's do it. We're doing it. That's we'll happening. Do it. I mean that's worth it's right worth now. talking about right now. We're, we're, we're done. But like no, it's definitely yeah. worth talking about. But you know I I think you're right about Atari, Andrew. I think Atari specifically just sucked. <laughs> like there's some gems on there, but like it's just I don't know. There's not enough. The limitations are too high. For there to be enough gameplay for it to be really, really something you could get engaged with. Um, you can really kind of only see the potential. I mean, the fucking controller has one button on it. <laughs> 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 what are you going to do with that? I, I guess the NES controller has two buttons. But it's twice as much. Select and start as yeah, well. Wow. So, um, it's kind of fun to to think about the technical limitations of that too, because it's like you have start and select, and then up, down, left, right, right. So that's eight inputs. So you, you, your input buffer is only four bit or two two bytes. Um, 
or one byte because it's eight bits. <laughs> so it's it's eight mm-hmm. uh, eight on off switches basically, which which is um, mm-hmm. that's what you read. <laughs> it makes it a lot mm-hmm. more technically there easier, you know. And then the Super Nintendo has has twice as many buttons, right? Because it's got uh, well, it had twice as many anything. It had twice as many bits. That was the, that was the whole point, yeah, right? I guess you're right. But it's also you know it's a it's a power two, well a, a double. So yep. it's, it makes it a lot easier, <laughs> you know. <laughs> of course, now it doesn't matter, but back then it did. It was interesting how there was this period of time where every generation of console added more buttons to the controllers, until they finally got to like you know peak button capacity, and then they just sort of you know iterated from there. Unless you're the PlayStation, in which case you basically release the same controller over and over again. Do they make it a little bit I mean, nicer it's... every time though? You know, it's like a nice little upgrade. Every time you're like, this is the one, this feels great. And then you pick it up, pick up the the latest one, and then you pick up your old one. You're like, this just sucks. Why would I ever think this is good? I don't know. Yeah, how do they do that? It's not like the sh- it's not like our hands changed, yeah. right? It's just nice. It's nice. They just did a good job. Ooh. Ooh. Yeah. Although, I don't know. I think the, the PlayStation 4 controller really is something special. And the PS5 one is not a huge upgrade. There's some cool technical stuff in it. But mostly it's just a visual look. I don't know. But it is cool. I don't know if you know of this, but the, the it's the final side. The PlayStation Five controller has like these really cool, like um, like analog, like programmable trigger. Did you say analog? Analog, yeah. <laughs> and it's filled in with brown trout. It has programmable like <laughs> tension on the the triggers, so like you can like programmatically switch how hard it is to like pull the triggers. It's so cool. Oh, oh, like a haptic feedback. Yeah, like a haptic feedback. Like, they had cool. this like tech demo that they that, that came at the ps5 where like it's like kind of hard to squeeze for for a while and then once you pass a certain threshold it's like really easy so you really feel like you're like you me know, like pulling something and like ah, got it all right and there's a nice chunk like a physical chunk you know it's cool i didn't think i want that like, a, like you know but haptic feedback man you gotta get that in vr fill your fill your games with chunks as my side to your side i just saw a map of of other euphemisms for pooping yeah. across like the world God. my favorite one my favorite one was in like mid-northern sweden and it was build a bear <laughs> <laughs> i gotta go build a bear, build a bear. bear. i mean like, i hope that that company didn't see that when they named their product build a bear. <laughs> uh, poop. okay so yeah we have solved retro games clearly yeah let's take a break okay see you in a minute All right, we're back. Do you guys want to do? Hey, check this out. Every day, yes, all the time. Sure. Hashtag sure. chop shovels. <laughs> <Throw back>. Yeah. <laughs> for the for the, the 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 listener who's down with all of our tropes. Hey, I'll go first. I'm going to recommend a related thing. We're talking about the orchestra hit. There's a cool mini documentary on YouTube 
from Vox that is called The Sound That Connects Stravinsky to Bruno Mars. So you are right, it was Stravinsky. Uh, and it's, I don't know, it's just like a, a neat little mini documentary about how that, that orchestra hit, the same sample of an orchestra hit, like has been in everything, like pretty much from hip hop to pop music to whatever over the last 30 years. And it's just been all over the fucking place. And like, now that you know, you'll be able to hear it in tons of stuff. If you want to. To <laughs> <laughs> so hear it, you can't unhear yeah. it. I don't know. It doesn't hurt my enjoyment of it. I love it. <laughs> it sounds great. Yeah. Give me more, give cool me more orchestra hits. I'll eat it up. Brian. All right, I can recommend another related sort of thing. Um, did you know that CRTs don't necessarily use square pixels? CRTs don't even use pixels at all. <laughs> Games use pixels and they become something on a CRT. So there's an interesting video called Capcom Arcade Aspect Ratio CPS-1 and CPS-2, which is kind of about how different games like Street Fighter kind of use different aspect ratios um, for different screens and you know how that relates to the actual pixels. So sometimes if you're playing a game in an emulator and it's using square pixels, it looks wrong. So don't do that. Play in the right aspect ratio. And this, this video will help you do that, understand why it was like that. So yeah, it's pretty cool. Little tech thing that people don't really realize about retro games. I will watch that like tonight. <laughs> I love that stuff. <laughs> <laughs> I can go next. Uh, I just watched the uh, animated series Harley Quinn on HBO Max. Uh, it's good. Uh, it's sort of like a modern or adult-oriented, uh, you know, take on the DC Comics uh, characters, um, and definitely not sort of canonically continuous with a bunch of the previous versions or whatnot. I enjoyed it. It's a different experience. Sick. Which isn't focused on like Batman, so though he does show up. I gotta look up what this looks like because I. Oh wow! I love the animation style. That's cool. Neat. Yeah. I think there's right. two seasons and there's a third one that they're working on. That's it. Cool. <laughs> Sorry, I was just making sure. I was I was I was assembling mine. Uh yeah, yeah, yeah. I realized I cut you off before, and so I figured I'd be explicit. <laughs> no, and then you. I'd Appreciate jump it. in to explain the fact that I was being very explicit just so that it's very clear that we understand that it's your time right now and you can say whatever you want yeah, yeah. this time. We're using Uno you know, jump in rules. Cool. <laughs> I'm so super ready to talk when when you guys are ready to let mm -hmm. me talk. All right, it's happening. Uh uh, this was the first tutorial that I, uh, the, the best tutorial I looked at when I was like kind of learning how to do pixel art, since we talked about pixel art today. Um, the best way I can describe how to find it is just search for, so you want to be a pixel artist on Google. Um, but I can also say it's, it's, it ends up being, uh, on yarninja.com slash pixel tutorial. And it's got like 15 chapters. Um, and it, it goes through like a lot of really cool rules, uh, about pixel art that you might not intuitively understand but that once you see it and once they explain it to you you're like oh yeah of course you know like outlines should like outline black pixels should never be on right angles with each other you, know, you should always make them diagonals and if there's ever a corner you should delete the corner like that kind of stuff although sometimes you break that rule but yeah um it's a, the best part about it is that the site looks fucking old as hell it's like <laughs> like some some 90s you know some 90s html site but the info about pixel art's real good in there so give it a look if you are interested in the artistry of pixel art, which is its own cool thing. All right, cool. 
So you can find me on Twitter at Radhesian, also soundcloud.com slash adhesion and adhesionvet.bandcamp.com. Where can people find you guys? You can find me on Twitter. I'm at the Brendo. I'm also on Twitter at Heckbringer. And you can get in contact with all of us at Team Red Mars on Twitter, redmars.com and redmars.itch.io. Say hi. Say hi. Hi. Yep. And uh, this episode was edited by Andy Mindler, even though he's not here. Thanks, mm-hmm. Andy. And music in this episode and all episodes was by Andrew Ford. Thanks, Andrew Ford. You're very welcome. Nice. Great job. Cool. Yes, excellent. Excellent work, everyone. Mm-hmm. All around. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we did it. All right. Retro games Salt. are officially still retro. We did it. Yeah. We did it. <laughs> I think we agreed that they were a sliding gradient, but maybe not. <laughs> we didn't agree yeah, on anything. We didn't agree on nothing. Here on Team Radmars, shall we. we will make a point and offer a counterpoint and take no sides. <laughs> Fair yeah. and balanced. That's what's going on. Okay, bye. 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 <laughs> bye. So here's the weird thing is that technically I never named the cat and I've, I wound up calling it BB in reference to fucking Tester Anning. So like, <laughs> the cat might think its name is BB. <laughs> so I might, I might, the professor might have actually, it might never have been its real name and it might just be BB. Although legally, if there is such a thing, the cat's name is Elsa because they didn't let me change it. So her, oh, yes. chip, her chip says Elsa because that was the shitty child that didn't want this wonderful cat. Oh. <laughs> Who knows? Who knows? Elsa. I hope they had a different cat named Anna. That was like a a red cat. It sounds like she didn't have any trouble letting it go. (laughs) 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 I love it.